0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick. And my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today. Climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. Speaking with my next guest is like having a conversation with 10 of the wisest souls at a dinner table in the ethers, and one old mortal kvetching about the reality of life on earth to keep it all grounded. Jen Tardip is the embodiment of ritual on this planet, flowing through life fluidly, chaotically, and also precisely, reminding us that it is human to reside in the stillness, the chaos, and also somewhere in the middle. She is a teacher of yoga, an aromatherapist, and the founder and product developer of the Practical and Esoteric at Third Ritual, creating space, tools, and supplies for mind exploration. Please join us as we discuss the importance of ritual in our everyday life, what happens when societies lose their ritual practice, and how to accept our own humanness. Welcome, Jen. Christine, I think that
1: was the nicest introduction I have ever received. (laughs) So
0: kind. It's completely heartfelt and it's absolutely how I see you. And I think our relationship is, it's special in the sense that we tend to uplift each other's maybe when we need it, but I see you as a hero. And sometimes you have said to me that you see me as a hero. So it's like, you're an inspiration to me. I hope you know that. So wonderful. Well, it's, it's well-deserved. And also, as I, so as I wrote this this morning, I explained this earlier, I had a difficult time narrowing it down as there are so many topics we could discuss. And to be honest, as the interviewer, I am a little bit nervous that I won't be able to capture all that is you, <laughs> but you're a little hard to put in words. So I, here's some of the words I wrote down. Exquisite, perfection, evolves, hilarious, chaotic, and grounded. <laughs> what do you think of that?
1: I mean, I don't relate to perfection, but I definitely I think that I'm I'm a recovering perfectionist and that like so much of my past struggle was self-imposed because I was striving for something fictitious, like a carrot dangling at the end of the stick, and I think a lot of what you've already kind of planted seeds for us to discuss has been about undoing that. Like, wait, there is no carrot. There is no stick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the one, one of my favorite things about you is that you put that out there. I mean, and let's talk about the perfection though. So I know you don't think you're in, none of us are perfect. That's an illusion. But I think that some of the things that you create are pretty perfect. Like your (laughs) bell, like the, the detail that goes into it. When you create, you know, we both create, things for the body. You create these beautiful creams that are used, sun, moon, and earth. Did I get all three? You did, yeah. And the detail that you put into just those hand creams were just incredible. And I think that's what I mean by perfection, that maybe perhaps it's, it's this detail, this striving for creating this, even if we can't on this earth. And they're beautiful. And does that feel like perfection to you? Like, is it an enjoyable process when you create those products or is it torture?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think product development was something that didn't come easy to me. And it's also not something that happens in a vacuum. You know, the person that I I collaborate the closest with on that is my husband. So (laughs) that makes for a very multi-layered relationship, as, as you know. And one of the things that he's taught me because he's a designer and just sees the world so differently is that we have to kind of lean into some of the things that initially felt like our weaknesses or our shortcomings, like even the fact that, you know, we're a self-funded business and it is really small and sort of slow. And I, you know, for much of last year was, I felt like I had this huge secret. And you know, you and I've talked about this before, but I I think it's important to to kind of like peel back the curtain that it was almost like I was trying to create this mindful business and yet I was really stressed and really sad. And so much of that, you know, which I can only see by way of the clarity that hindsight affords you, was caused by chasing after someone else's dream, you know, like seeing all these other like quote unquote girl bosses out there who were running these venture-backed businesses and just scaling at the speed of light and thinking, wow, well, if this isn't big and isn't growing rapidly, then it's not successful. And once I really started to take in, because I was hearing what what my husband was saying he was like no it's so great that we're only making you know 50 of these because then the next time that we go and make them and they're made by hand we can refine right there's going to be an opportunity even if it's so slight that no one else notices it that we can keep improving it and that like that in itself is ritual it's this repetition that every time it gets it's a little bit smoother and and habitual and informed and intentional and so that's where now i feel so much just immense gratitude and joy and with everything that's happened with covid you know it's like wow small is really sacred like we were we were kind of set up for this you know we didn't have a huge overhead we'd pared down and not because we had the foresight that something like this was coming but so many of these larger companies are now being brought to their knees and like we like to joke we're like well oh, we're more profitable than uber <laughs> So I don't know if that answers your question, but the process, it's not, it's so far from, from perfect and it's not void of its own struggles. But I think like all things, I realized that I was the one who was painting myself into a corner. And the moment I could step out of that and like actually mute a lot of the forces that were sparking the like negative self-talk in me, I could keep my eye on the prize, which wasn't to build something that was like big and fast and for the masses. It's so not that. It's niche. It's esoteric. It's for people like you who are going to take the time and like read the practices and practice palm inhalation. And that's the collective. And
0: Yeah. I think that that is in my own business. And I've shared this with you is that I've had many Reincarnations in my business, having it for 25 years, and you will too. And you know, we got to a place where it was really, you know, you work so hard and you're so in this own bubble, and that's what I enjoyed was really the creative part, right? right. And creating it and what I envisioned, and it gets out there, and then when people do finally respond to it in a very large way, it went very quickly. And for in my own experience. Once it got took off like that, I couldn't control it. I did not have the employees. I had, you know, I had my husband, I had my stepfather, I had friends of friends that were there, you know, it was like a very intimate family reunion every single day. But that's what, you know, I didn't have the right people for the right job. So yeah. what happened was, is it, you know, it, it crashed and burned very quickly. And then we we had our first recession. And I've gone through so many reiterations with it. But where I'm at now is is such a blessing. Yeah. I was able to stop back and then I realized too, like you did, is which is not necessarily easy, but it's also a relief for me, that epiphany finally came when I was diagnosed with cancer. I was a little stubborn. So you know I'm constantly looking at spreadsheets. I was constantly like I have to get it back to where it was and then when I, had, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, it stopped. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> it's like crazy, right? Yeah. Anyhow, I appreciate that you did that and that, yes, now we are in this time. I don't particularly want to go back. I think a lot of people I've had on the show have also said this as well. It's been a very thoughtful time. And it's allowed us to really focus on what matters and to to see even in, in our health and how we manage that and everything's so fast, fast, fast. And we live in New York City. And so, of course, it's much, you know, it's 10 times that much faster. But also that what you had said before, that your success is not measured by your bank account, by how many people buy your cream, how many people instagram you or what you know i mean that's all lovely and that's some sort of validation but you know is realizing that just being yeah and just thing it is makes it important yeah i do hope that we can continue that and you know it's easier said than done isn't it yeah Yeah. So (laughs) even in this time, even when it's quiet, I still see people yearning to like, and in myself too, it's like, oh, the more eyes on it, does that make it important? And what I've discovered for myself, Jen, is that does it bring me joy? That's where I'm at. So if it doesn't bring me joy, then I pause it and I leave it and I go back to it. It's like
1: the condo method for your life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It does. It is. You know, is it joyful? What's I'm getting a little bit off subject, but a lot of stuff that we post, uh, that I post, and like, you know, trying to be very mindful and all this. But at the same time, it's a lot to hold. And it's like this, maybe this isn't my lane. You know, there's something to be said about finding your place and your joy and bringing it out joyfully, because I do think change can come from that. Anyhow, (laughs) going back to this, so what I did decide is like on the direction and what I really want to uncover with you is I, I wanted to discuss exploring rituals, how you came to ritual, you named your company Third Ritual, and also how this is lacking in our society and and maybe how it can also be contradictory to what we feel is expansion. So I, I mentioned before we got on, and I'd like for our listeners to hear, Webster defines ritual as a ceremony, the order of words prescribed for a religious ceremony, a ritual observance, specifically a system of rites, a ceremonial act or action, and an act or series of acts regularly repeated in a set precise manner. So what, tell me, like, can you discuss the dichotomy of ritual as a way of expression, but also precision, why you were drawn to it? And why did you name your company Ritual? Like, what brought you to Ritual, Jen?
1: Yeah, you know, there are a couple of threads that I could pull on within that. And I think the first is around the origin, which I kind of stumbled and, and found my way to, as I think, you know, like many of the greatest things in my life, it was, it was like a means for creating a sense of control when I was feeling like otherwise out of control or in a chaotic environment and that happened really really young for me like at you know the age of of 5 my mother passed away and there was a lot of things that i was forced to deal with although i didn't have the language for grief and and things like that at the time i did have these repetitive actions right a series of things that i would do even before something as simple as going to bed at night that would help me in the absence of her. Cause that's when like a mother's touch is so irreplaceable. It was a way to self-soothe to mother myself. And, you know, I think that there's maybe more, a little bit more of like a pessimistic label you could apply, which would be like, Oh, that's very OCD. And, you know, you're kind of becoming like dependent on, on certain things, but I pr- much prefer the narrative that really views that as a seed that then led me to finding a lot of incredible mentors. Most of them were strong women like yourself who you don't have to be a therapist <laughs> to make that connection. Right. Like, and seeking out that, that wisdom and and just kind of never settling for some false notion that I, I had the answers and that there was always going to be more to uncover and more and more to learn. And something that really stayed with me was after we had already named the company you know third ritual in in 2016 and wellness was not even that was just 4 years ago and it but it was so so far from what it was today and i have mixed feelings about how ubiquitous some of this language has become because i think that what happens as it makes its way into mainstream is that it loses it's cultural and historical context, which for me is very dangerous. Um, I think that that's in a way that's appropriation. And I think that it, it can be, you know, harmful because it, it can be irreverent. And it's something that it's like in process for me right now. We had a conversation not too long ago where we were like, do we drop it? Do we just, do we rename our company third after? And this conversation, I won't, name the brand because I'm not a fan of like cancel culture or saying anything negative but you know it was after receiving a, a package in the mail from a new startup that was like this is your new ritual and it it's like beauty and I was like that is not a ritual for me and like maybe sure maybe that's something that you perform every day and it's like a cleansing routine it's it could be like, quote unquote, self care. But if it's void of intention and purpose, then that doesn't count. And so I think that that's where I do cringe a little bit. But I mentioned three things. So the first was the origin. I talked about, you know, having this as a really like foundational um, part of my childhood and building on it from there. And then the second thing was just acknowledging how its shape shifted over time. And then to kind of circle back to like the importance of it and to answer your question around how we as a society can benefit like when it is used in the right way with reverence and and patience. It's a really powerful tool. You know, I, I often define a ritual like a container and mm-hmm when you have a container that's, that's waiting to be filled with all these other ingredients, be it your, your focus, your attention, like an anchor into the present moment or into something that requires processing, right? Like there's rituals around birth and death for that very reason, like things that we wanna have as, as major markers and milestones. I think that it's, it's really alchemical have been really fortunate because of this work to be included in other people's rites of passage and and now it's like if you're not religious sometimes it can be hard to figure out how do you welcome a new baby into this world if you're not Jewish and going to have a bris and you're not you know like you don't necessarily have the the lineage to draw upon or maybe it doesn't resonate with you and so being able to gather people who form your your chosen family by way of these long standing friendships and beyond to uncover some of these practices which is like very much equal parts education and and experience i think that that can be something that it stays with you forever and it really does infuse and and kind of inform the energy in the space. And in this specific example that I'm referencing, it's like, that's the community and the world that you want to bring this baby into. And I think that there's nothing more beautiful than that. One of the teachers that I, that I studied under, I went to, to stay with in India and, and study from, and I remember asking her, what did she think of the fact that like she was part Muslim, so she'd never traveled to the U S. So we were showing her things like yoga journal and whatever for the first time. And she was kind of blown away right having been raised in the ayangar institute in in pune and i said what do you think of like how like westerners have adopted so many of these practices that are from your culture like from your family that are you have or have, have such a like you're so steeped in and her answer was so succinct that it has stayed with me forever which was that she said rituals are like tea you have to let them steep and as westerners you might have the language and it might seem you know as easy as saying okay sit and still your mind but only after it's practiced and become integrated into a way of life you know and it's not just contained in a little box but it's how you show up at all times, through the hard times, through the times when no one's watching, mm-hmm. then and only then can you really, you know, reap the quote unquote benefits. She didn't use the word benefits, but I'm using it now because I can't think of a better one.
0: So did she think it was okay then for Westerners to have had this? Or was she just basically saying that they're not going to achieve the, I don't want to say enlightenment, but the benefits without knowing of the repetition of where the origins of where it came from.
1: To her, the best version of the world is one in which everyone meditates. But what her warning or words of her kind of cautionary advice was to not lose that discernment, right? Because a photo of somebody in a bikini, not that there's anything wrong with that, but a photo of somebody in a bikini, like sitting with their eyes closed, doing like an Anjali Mudra, <laughs> that is not the state of meditation. Yeah. And so let's not get confused as to what it is and what it means to embody
0: It's funny how people can then take that, you know, how Westerners have taken that and then, and not just Westerners. I mean, I feel like it's spread around that just people wanting to commercialize it or monetize it. And so you get these visions and then it becomes something that is available to everyone that is supposed to be available to everyone, right? I think it becomes something to aspire to. So then you kind of get the idea. It's very important. I mean, that's a whole other discussion on imagery, but I'm very much into imagery right now and how like something like that. And we look at that can make us think then, well, then I'll never obtain this, that I have to be, you know, I have to be tan. I have to be blonde. I have to be in a bikini by a waterfall. (laughs) Right. And which is absolutely not the case. It's funny. I'm learning to play. uh, it, It was called to me after, my mom passed, and which was such a comfort to her, was the um, Tibetan singing bowls. And my practitioner um, was of great comfort for my mom while she was transitioning and she has gifted me with two bowls. So it's something that I was called to. And today I was thinking about that and that maybe in playing them, you know, I'm hoping to play them just openly for people to have healing, you know, and to go out. But if there's like some sort of suit to like, so I'm not, there. Do you know what I mean? Like my imagery doesn't give any sort of perception. I just want people to focus on the music. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's part of the nice thing about the medium of a podcast. Yeah. That it can just be listening. Maybe you do that as an an entire episode.
0: There you go. There you go. It's something to think about. So I think well so in discussing so your rituals when you do them are, are well thought out with meaning and intention and quite beautiful and done one with you for my own birthday. They do mark the occasion. And I, I think it's can be something quite profound and special, but how do we do that now when we can't gather in communities? Right. And maybe it is that we spend more time. And like you said, to not water down the word ritual, and to have it lose its meaning but in this slower time to give it more intention do you think that this can be done on a zoom meeting <laughs> on a zoom call or what do we do
1: yeah i mean i love that question and also the fact that you did take the time to look up the word and you know the definition and the etymology because there's always like so much of a clue in the question right so even in the way that you've done your research that act of like turning over a stone is part of the the process. And one of the, those words that jumped out at me was the formality of it. And I think that that's what can get lost when we start to kind of get swept up in the mundane, which is routine, right? Like I, did I brush my teeth? I don't even know if I brushed my teeth or not, because you just, are on autopilot or maybe another better example is like if you've ever been driving you know and you're just and then you get there and you're like oh my god i don't even remember like turning left and then turning right but i know i did cuz now i'm here and i'm safe but we, i was so caught in thought or story or something else that just happened or this weird email that i got that you weren't actually paying attention and so with the formality of ritual i do think that like we were saying metrics around you know, money or, or, or size aren't the ones that we choose to subscribe to in building businesses of intention and integrity. The same is true for these rights. Like my daughter just had a birthday and it was an amazing celebration and she had two friends, you know, and that was, that was plenty. It was two more than she had in 21 weeks. And it was an opportunity for us to start to, you know, really manifest some of these, familial traditions, some of which are, you know, we're passing on, like I'm half Chinese and she's very much a part of making dumplings, you know, and the folding and the pinching and that little assembly line around food, which is super sweet. But then there are also things that I didn't have growing up that I, I so, I so craved. And, you know, so one of those like beautiful silver linings of quarantine has been that we eat dinner together every night as a family, and we weren't able to do that because of busy schedules before and and just you know the hours that we work and not getting home early enough to eat with her and Now that we do that, it's a really sweet way that even on a busy like Tuesday, we take the time to set the table. she has her little high chair, and we start the meal by giving thanks and you know, she loves to cheers with her sippy cup. and it's <laughs> and it's a very important way to acknowledge all that we have. And it doesn't have to be something like so grandiose, like because at some days, like we give thanks for the meal itself. Some days we give thanks for the fact that we don't include screens and we're making eye contact and around the passing of Ahmed Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others. Like we can give thanks for. Our breath and just acknowledging again with reverence what we have. Because if you look and you pay attention and you tune into that, there's always something. And it's not something that's out there, it's something that's like in here and has already arrived. That's our one rule. You can't like be thankful for a vacation that's happening next week. No, no, no. That's that's future tripping, right? Like stay anchored. And that's one of the things that I, I find so powerful about ritual. And when I refer to it like a container, it can be a capsule when you know, like this, on this day, like we're getting married and we want it to be special. You know, we've done things like a moment of silence that even if the guests are like, this is a little woo woo and I don't meditate. That's the thing that they'll talk about, you know, a year later. Wow. When I stood completely still for 60 seconds in a room full of other people, at first it was torture And then I was there. And then from that moment throughout the rest of the evening, I was like really there. Mm. And that's palpable. There's a difference between the, you know, the before, during, and after.
0: Isn't that interesting? When my mother's service, instead of I'm an only child, so it was entirely up to me. And instead of a traditional Funeral service, which is not what she would have wanted, what I would have wanted. I created a, a ritual, and as you mentioned, one of the things I did was I, my mother passed at seventy-two, and we, I had the sound bowl that was so dear to her that we had in her hospital room, and I I rang it seventy-two times, and I don't know there must have been one hundred fifty people there, Jen, and it was, I did, I got like I went through exactly what you said in that. What, what was that? Probably a minute, maybe, if even, or what, you know, but I went through, like, I started it and then it got uncomfortable, yeah. you know, it's like that time, it's like, and then I was there. And at the end of it, many people came up to me and said, thank you for doing that. That was just really profound. Yeah. That helped me to get into a, a place of being right here, yeah. right now. Would you say that's what ritual is meant to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I love what you just described because the singing bowl in that case is your instrument but what makes it magical is you using it with intention and conviction and purpose with your mother in mind and in heart and by way of the senses we can help quiet that External noise, that chaos that that chatter, the constant stimulation, the constant seeking the what 's next, what now, what then, and start to finally tune in in this case because of the vibrations and the sound that the bowl is emanating to what 's happening inside, and it starts to change our own vibration, tuning in maybe for the first time in a long time for some of the folks in in the room who are present at your mother 's service. To their the own beating of their hearts. And that is so powerful. And I think that, you know, you and I have talked a lot about scent as another tool that can do that because of the power of olfaction and how it can, you know, it has a direct pathway to the limbic brain where, where you know, our memories and our motivations and our emotions are stored. And we have science on our side, right, to back the fact that all of those different pathways. And for some people, it is really linked to taste and food and other chemical scents. And for you and I, it's very, very linked to scent. And for others, it's sight or sound, but they're all fair game. And through those anchors, you start to lead yourself back. I always think of that little story about like Hansel and Gretel. And it's like, you're Mm -hmm. leaving, you're like leaving the little pebbles so that you can find your way back. Like I need to access that again. I grab mm-hmm. a singing bowl. I'm going to play it. Right. And then it, you start to deepen the pathway so much so that maybe you don't even have the tool in hand, but you have the intention and having been there a few times before you can find your way back more easily. And maybe someone doesn't even know it's happening. You're in a, an argument or a confrontation or you get something's and there you are. You're doing your breath work. No one knows, but you mm-hmm. are changing in real time the way that something that is. If we really take like a mat, like at least take a 30 foot you, it's actually quite neutral, right? Whatever's happening, but it's us assigning a stigma or a story to it that makes it negative or bad or a failure. And instead, to have this at the ready, all of a sudden it's like, wow this is a lesson. Oh, this is information. Oh, this is in process. This too shall pass.
0: Yeah. Would you say that the difference between, because I think some people confuse ritual to routine, you know, some people say, well, I brush my teeth every day at seven or whatever. And that's my ritual, you know, before I go to bed, but it's actually your routine. Would you, to me, it would be that the ritual is in a direct intention applying a, a direct intention to what you're about to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that in that example of brushing your teeth, there's sort of a, a mindless quality. That's why I was talking about driving somewhere and all of a sudden you're there, but you don't remember the actual journey. Whereas in in ritual, it's about, it's almost like a way to remember.
0: Yeah, every single thing had intention. And I remember I you know I talk about it because it was probably one of the most important things that I, I've ever done. I took it very seriously.
1: Your mother's service?
0: Yeah. You know, as anyone, but a lot of times it's given to those whose relative it is that pass, oftentimes within a community, someone else takes care of it all. And so you can sit there and you can mourn. But for me in my relationship with her, it was extremely important to me that I was able to honor her in every single way. And so that led, like, I knew she was going. So I had like, it started coming to me in the visions and that we had, but there was comfort in that. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, my mom was a gardener and that she was working on pollinator pathways with the garden club. And so in the center of where we had it at the, you know, it was a big open kind of restaurant area. Um, I had plants that were pollinators and they formed out where they were potted and they formed into a peace sign. Mom had a, she wore a peace necklace that was very important to her, you know, with candles and, uh, but then everyone could take that and then plant that. And I really wanted to honor her and in doing so, it helped to heal me, you know, it helped to bring that closure to me that I felt that I had done everything that I possibly could for her. Also, you know, we were talking about like the birthday and that we had done a birthday ritual together for myself and, and with that and that it had come to me that it was important. The intention was to thank those that helped me to get to where I was. It wasn't necessarily celebrating me. It was celebrating them. And by celebrating them, I was celebrating myself. But what I, having gone to your, many of your rituals and loving them is what I love is that they're not just happy. And they're not just sorrowful, but they're always somewhere in between. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it brings it together in a way that's grounding and that's life.
1: Yeah. I think that's the yin and the yang. I mean, even to go back to your, I hope you don't mind me saying, but it was for your 50th birthday. You know, there were some of the women that you had invited hadn't crossed that milestone yet. And there was such incredible feedback, which is really a testament to the role that I think you play within your social circle, but also your community at large, where you were leading by example, right? Like you made what I think for some women can be a moment of, you know, you have to reconcile, like, what am I saying goodbye to? There's so much pressure and and glorification of youthfulness and, and a certain idea of femininity. And so... Not to put you on the spot, but I feel like you can speak more to that idea. But there was a real a celebratory aspect of not just you in this moment, but this world that you had sort of curated and and like cultivated, which takes work. Relationships like that take work. And it was so beautiful to see all these women sitting in circle, genuinely supporting each other and... and united by, because they all loved you.
0: Yes. And which then leads me to the next question is that, do you think that as a community, we need ritual to survive?
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, if I were to like make my own version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, I'd put connection a lot higher up there and i think that ritual is one of the ways that we can foster that in a really meaningful way because like you and i were talking about before we we started recording it's there's a bit of a bait and switch where you can think especially in, during quarantine okay i'm going to whip out my phone and see what other people are doing and i'm going to i'm going to connect right i'm going to double tap and like this or comment here but oftentimes that leads you feeling more depleted and more defeated. First started checking Instagram or whatever medium. And I think that even like all the Zoom meetings, it's actually quite exhausting. And and part of there are going to be you know so many studies about the impact of this in the coming years, many of which haven't fully been published because we're still just getting the data, but it's what you're missing in the nuance of body language or somebody's, you know, emotional response or their energetic response, how they're showing up in that moment on that day. Yeah, it's draining, it's heavy. And so I think that we need connection to survive. And I think ritual is one of the ways for many folks, for myself especially, is is how we can access it.
0: Agree. And I think that Creating that, and I'm really hoping that you're going to do this for us all, (laughs) is creating that way to access it. Because I think, you know, as we discussed, the difference between routine and ritual is the intention. And by thereby doing your ritual, you're creating intention. You have to stop, you have to think. If there's others in the group, you have to think about them and process that whole. And we're just, you know, we take away from the individualism to community and what our goal is together. And I do, I I think that, you know, people are doing their yoga together. I actually, I'm really enjoying it, signing on and doing that. And I feel, you know, being able to see people, but I I would love to figure out some way to create your beautiful rituals online, if that's possible.
1: Well, doing the podcast was my first sort of attempt at that because I have, I struggle a lot with the video aspect. Like, I think it's amazing that you, You find joy in those yoga classes. You know, like I've recorded a couple and it's been super painful. Like, never in my life have I agreed to do something and procrastinated as much as I did with those because I always would say, when teaching, you know, in a physical space to people in real life, I'd always say, like, this isn't a performance, this is a practice. And like, that's the difference between yoga and, say, dance right we're not in a room with mirrors it's not about how it looks how does it make you feel and yet when faced with the challenge of having to like prop my phone up and show the pose and talk through the pose and record myself sweating in a pose it was like a massive tidal wave of body image issues and all the things that led me to this work in the first place and so yeah it, i'm still very much in in process with that like the podcast was our first sort of experiment in trying to give something that was guided and experiential, but I hear you. I think that, yeah, knowing that this is going to be the new normal, yeah, there have to be some better solutions out there. But I just, for me, it's the idea of adding more screen time doesn't sit right yet, but I'm going to keep sitting with it and see what we can come up with. Were you live? No, I recorded the, those two classes I recorded were for SkyTing.
0: Okay. That's why it wasn't live. You didn't have the interaction. Right. Because then of course it, then it's like, how is this going to look like, you know, it's just you in that room. I feel like, no, not just me. I like the, the live aspect of being able to reach out to people and to see people on the Zoom. Um, Maybe like a, I would liken it to like a cacao ceremony, right? You know, where we're all sitting there and we all talk. But yeah, just recording it does feel a little bit flat. Tell me, okay, so the podcast, what I love. So the podcast are rituals for your ears. <laughs> There's three minutes each episode. There's no more than really three minutes, right?
1: Yeah, they're like between like six and nine minutes. Always a multiple of three.
0: I love them. So I'll binge them. I'll sit there and like to sit. First of all, your voice is so soothing. It's wonderful. That's very kind. Yeah. And they're just, it's enough. And I think in this world of where we are, it's hard to focus right now because we aren't going out. And I find that, like you said, it's exhausting. I'm exhausted at the end of the day and I haven't even left my apartment. Yeah. Right. And it's just this new weird kind of exhaustion and then waking up and not knowing what day it is and like, where the hell I am and It's surreal. It's surreal. So I can't say enough about them. So that inspiration, was it so people could connect while you couldn't get together?
1: Yeah, that was quite simply, that was what it was. As we were moving through the process of canceling everything, like our workshops and retreats and classes, it felt like a real loss. And whenever that sensation comes up for me, I try to as best I can. This is something I'm not not very good at, but I do try to sit with the discomfort. And, you know, I think that anytime that there's like a white space that presents itself or a void, you get the luxury of deciding how you wanna fill it. And I use the word you as in like a, a you know, in the creative sense, right? Like an artist with a blank canvas. And so for us, you know, very much in line with what I was just saying about my aversion to video. Um, We talked through what the different options were that were out there. And for the simple but also really practical reason of like not having childcare and being able to do this when I could, which that's like recording it at like midnight (laughs) and as like a voice note on my phone, was a way that we could put something out that people could access anywhere, anytime. It would be free, it wouldn't be prohibitive. Like that's why we put it across different platforms because not everybody has like. Um, a little bit of a following in Hong Kong and they don't have access to Apple podcast. So they asked for it to be on Spotify and just things like that. We tried to just make it as accessible and as easy so that if you only had six minutes to practice that day, that you could feel that that was enough, that you were enough, that remembering you were in a body is enough. And that's kind of my like secret, not so publicized mission statement, right? Is helping to remind people that the way to really tap into joy is to savor. And that's why I'm so obsessed with presence and all of the tools, whether it is an aromatic cream or a mantra that whatever works, works, right? So it's like, hold that. And how can we keep delivering this tasting menu so that people can Pick their palette and and pick their flavor and come back to it when they need it.
0: I want to thank you for creating them because I know it's a lot of work and I know it's an offering and it's as simple as that. And it has helped me. It was wonderful. There's so much noise out there. Of all the millions of podcasts, it's hard to find something that I can listen to and that can give me that joy or that lift or that centering or that grounding that I need. So thank you. That's so kind. Thank you for doing that. So the last question is, and I ask, I always end the show with this, is pretty much I ask people what their why is. When you do all this and why do you continue it when there's so many obstacles, as we've discussed, and that you come across things and, you know, you want to give up, but you keep putting one foot in front of the other and you continue creating. Do you have a certain why as to what gets you up to do this every day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean in in yoga we call it your dharma, like finding your your purpose and I think that my why really was born out of a like insatiable thirst for more. Like I thought that there had to be more. There had to be more meaning, more magic, just more and i knew when living like in my parents basement as a teenager feeling so depressed and so small and so unworthy of love that that couldn't be life like that just couldn't be like looking at like a bird like singing and flying freely like i was just like no that is not the end all be all human existence and so although i'm still asking questions and doing my own research i feel like my My why is in a tangible tool, if we can help people uncover a little bit more of the the magic and the meaning that they already have access to, that's already in this very moment, then it's worth doing. That's the only metric.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jen. Can you share with us how we can find you, how our listeners can find you and learn about you? Oh, sure.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Christine. you're a true light. And this was really a joy to to speak to you and we could we could speak for days. We could. <laughs> we should probably do that at some point. I would love it. Just pull up on a beach and and talk for 48 hours. But yeah, we're you know, we're third ritual is, is our website. Doesn't matter how you spell it. And on Instagram, it's it's third ritual, like the number three R D.
0: And that's probably the easiest way. Wonderful. Well, I thank you, Jen. Thank you for being the change. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.